So now we are going to talk about the August issue of uh, internal security or security. The first topic is integrated battle groups. The Indian Army plans to raise new integrated battle groups that can mobilize fast and strike hard across the borders of Pakistan and China as a part of its ongoing endeavor to reform its entire war fighting machinery and sharpen the Cold Start doctrine. Background After the terrorist attack on the parliament, the Indian military undertook massive mobilization, but the army's formations were deep inside, took weeks to mobilize, losing the element of surprise. The army formulated its proactive conventional war strategy, colloquially called Cold Start Doctrine, after the slow mobilization of its strike formations at the border launch pad under Operation Parakram, which took almost one month after the terrorist attack on parliament in December 2001. Army chief has initiated four major studies to undertake the overall transformation of the force, which included destructuring of army headquarters, Force restructuring, which includes creation of integrated battle groups, the cadre review of officers and review of the terms and conditions of junior commission officers and other ranks. The aim is holistic integration to enhance the operational and functional efficiency, optimize budget expenditure, facilitate force modernization and address aspirations. Now about integrated battle groups. Integrated battle groups are brigade-sized, agile, self-sufficient combat formations which can swiftly launch strike against the adversary in the case of hostilities. The integrated battle group would be tailor-made based on threat, terrain, task and resources will be allocated based on the three T's. They need to be light so that they will be low on logistics. They will be able to mobilize within 12 to 48 hours based on the location. They are battle formations with heavy firepower that will combine infantry, armor, artillery, engineers, logistics and support units to bring together all the necessities to fight a war. The first three integrated battle groups to be set up in the plains of Jammu, Punjab, Rajasthan for the Pakistan border by October-November along the Pakistan border, which will have elements from various formations of the Western Command. The two integrated battle group configurations tested before the decision was finalized included one for offensive role, which is strike crop, cops, and to carry out hostilities such as cross-border operations, and one for defensive postures, holding cops, to withstand an attack from an enemy side. The former will be more armored, that is tank intensive for thrust across the border and later will be infantry centric to hold the ground. The establishment of these groups will do away with the older formation of troops, which included around 8 to 10 brigades, each with 3 to 4 battalion. Instead, the IBG will have a just 6 battalion. The IBGs with about 5,000 troops each will be carved out of some of the around 50 divisions under the 14 corps in the 12 lakh strong army. Now what is the significance of the move? Swift movement of forces. Indian army aims to be able to move both troops and equipment swiftly and stealthily into enemy territory at the short notice, not leaving the rival side with the time to tackle the integrated battle groups. And uh, better next, uh, next significance is better integration of forces and self-sufficiency. These specialized groups will ensure better integration and self-sufficiency as compared to the existing formations. 
During hostilities, the current system requires a brigade to wait to be uh, to wait to be augmented by various types of units such as artillery and logistics, which raises its time to mobilize. This won't be the case with IBGs, which will be self-sufficient and inbuilt with all the such units and hence easier to mobilize. Lean and Mean Army. These groups are part of the overall move to make the army lean and mean, which will help in better expenditure planning, better synchronization, better preparedness to deal with various issues. Other than this, what you also need to know is what is the structure in Indian Army. But before this, we need to find out what is the problems faced by Indian Army. It needs effective defense planning where the forces do not work in silo-driven approach to defense planning. Then need force restructuring to achieve a better teeth-to-tail ratio. For this, over 12 lakh strong army needs to shed around 1 lakh personnel over the next 6 to 7 years. Then it needs to improve combat capabilities, including capacity to undertake conventional and hybrid warfare such as mandated under the Cold Star Doctrine, hot pursuit activities, anti-terror operations, etc. Then constrained capital budget. Due to change in nature of the warfare where technology and not manpower is slated to play a bigger role in battles of the future. For the army alone, the ratio of revenue to capital expenditure is 81 is to 19% of which 73% of the revenue expenditure is for pay and allowance. The implementation of one rank one pension has further left little for hardware modernization or capital acquisitions. Need to remove redundant logistic units such as the signal regiments have undergone change due to change in electronic warfare. Similarly, the army does not need elements such as military farms. Other than this, what you need to know is the structure in the Indian army. While command is the large, largest static formation of the army spread across a defined geography, a corps is the largest mobile formation. Typically, each corps has about three brigades. The brigades are the smallest battle formations in the Indian Army. The IBGs will be even smaller than brigades to make them more flexible and allow for faster mobilization of troops. The idea is to reorganize them into IBGs which are brigade sized units but have all the essential elements like infantry, armored artillery and air defense embedded together based on three T's. Other than this are the st other steps taken. Restructuring the army officer's cadre, including bringing down the age of key commands, harnessing the higher life expectancy and motivation of the personnel. Creation of a new post of deputy chief for military operations and strategic planning to deal with the military operations, the military intelligence, strategic planning and operational logistics. Merger of separate verticals of uh, DCOAS and the Master General Ordinance into one office of DCOAS, which is Capability Development and Sustenance. Next step taken, which is setting up of new wings for vigilance and human rights issues under the command of Major General Rank Officers. This is in accordance with the Army's commitment to probity and transparency. Next is setting up of new information warfare wing to deal with the needs of the future battlefield, hybrid warfare and social media reality. Hybrid warfare is military strategy that employs political warfare and blends conventional warfare, irregular warfare and cyber warfare with other influencing methods such as fake news, diplomacy, lawfare and uh, foreign electoral intervention. Next topic is cyber security policy. 
Recently, the 12th India Security Summit was organized by SOCHAM on the theme of Towards New National Cyber Security Strategy. About Cyber Security Policy of 2013, the policy proposed to set up different bodies to tackle various levels of threat along with a national nodal agency to coordinate all cyber security matters, create a national critical information infrastructure protection center, create a workforce of around 5 lakh trained in cyber security, provide fiscal benefit to businesses to adopt best security practices. It will set up testing labs to regularly check safety of the equipment. Then it will create a cyber ecosystem in the country, developing effective public-private partnership and collaborative engagements through technical and operational cooperation, build indigenous security technologies through research, the progress under the cyber security policy, an elaborate national cyber security assurance framework is under implementation. A national cyber security coordinator was appointed directly under the PMO has led to improved coordination amongst various agencies. Then NCIIPC has been set up. The public-private partnership is being developed. Then cyber security research and development policy has also been under active consideration of the government. India is pursuing active cyber diplomacy by setting up cyber security dialogue with several other countries and is participating in several international forums including UN on cyber security. Now, what are the challenges which exist and mandate the need of new cyber security policy? The challenges are role and responsibilities. Like, for example, still there is some ambiguity and irresponsibility of organizations for cyber security. National Terror Technical Research Organization has been interested with this responsibility which does not come under any ministry and operates directly under PMO. The interplay between Ministry of Defense, Ministry of Home Affairs, Armed Forces and Intelligence Agencies, both internal and external, need to be clearly demarcated. Then lack of unity of command, which defines who will carry out offensive cyber operations in a conflict scenario and rules of engagement. Then lack of standard and protocol across the country in the cyber domain. Issues with National Cyber Security Coordinator. It does not have any executive power since it is not under any ministry. It is not in the loop for cyber operations undertaken by the intelligence agencies. It faces lack of staff. Coordination in public-private partnership. There is a serious mismatch of understanding between the civil sector and the government agency of cyber security. Perception of private agencies. The private sector is only interested in grabbing the order but are not serious enough in developing Indian, Indian solutions and do not invest much in R&D. Perception of public agencies that there is a very little understanding of cybersecurity in the top echelons of the government agencies. Also, the procedures are too bureaucratic, time-consuming, and the vendors are usually treated appropriately. Way forward and broad contours of new cybersecurity policy. On public-private partnership, Set up a permanent mechanism for public-private partnership. Put in place appropriate policy and legal framework to ensure compliance with cyber security efforts. Establish India as a global hub for development of the cyber security products, services and manpower. Then develop credible code-breaking capacity which the countries like USA, UK, Russia, China possess. On cyber operations in tactical battle area. 
collect intelligence by rapidly exploiting captured digital media gaining access to closed networks in or near the area of operations including extracting and injecting data using electronic warfare systems as delivery platform for precision cyber effect creating accountability in research organizations such as defense research and development organization bhaba atomic research center and indian space research organization which can be asked to submit regular return on investments in various cyber security fields now the next topic is india's transition from defense market to export hub recently in the largest ever single export order ordnance factory board will supply 50000 artillery shells used with bofors guns to the united arab emirates what is the background behind this india is at crucial juncture of its journey towards self reliance in defense production which started primarily with imports then progressed towards licensed production took substantial form in 1980s and 90s and now we are talking about indigenous design development manufacturing and export capabilities major defense items being exported now are personal protective items offshore patrol vessels helicopters and radio set according to stockholm international peace research institute india was the largest importer of military equipment in the world accounting for 13% of the total global arms import between 2012 and 16 it is more than both china and pakistan the report also points out that india increased its arms import by 43% the biggest contributor to indian exports has been the us accounting for nearly 5000 crore worth of exports followed by old arms partner israel and european union the draft defense production policy 2018 set up a target of 5 billion dollar which is 35000 crore in defense export by 2025 now what are defense exports and overview increasing self reliance according to a recent statement in parliament by the minister of state for defense in 2015-16 the total capital expenditure for defense procurement was 62000 crore of this 62% procurements came from domestic suppliers only half less than half went to the foreign vendors then expanding budget of the defense the defense attaches are being given to an annual budget of $50000 each for promoting export of indian made defense products from both public and private sector by participating in exhibitions conducting market studies organizing seminars and distribution of publicity material then source diversification a new plan for an open general export license to give india further access to the global market will be launched it will enable indian companies to export certain equipment to identified nations the nations that india believes have the maximum potential of purchasing military equipment include vietnam thailand bahrain bangladesh afghanistan uae and malaysia product diversification india is looking to encourage public and private sectors to go beyond export of components to platform where large scale value addition can be done According to the ministry data most of the exports are for components with uh, parts for small arms topping the chart then favorable conditions for exports exports growth has been boosted by the low cost of production in india and offset obligations being discharged the increase in exports comes after the recent charges in policy that have made it easier for companies to get official permissions
introducing policy reforms in the sector. The key policy reforms of the Ministry of uh, Defence include Strategy for Defence Export, Defence Procurement Procedure, Simplified Make-to-Make-to uh, make Procedure, Defence Offset Policy, Ease of Doing Business Reforms, Revision in Licensing Process, New Strategic Partnership Policy. All these moves will have a long-term implication on India's defence manufacturing and export potential. Now, opening the defence sector. Since the government liberalized foreign direct investment in the defence sector, nearly 4,000 crore of FDI has come into this sector. Then encouraging private participation and MSMEs. In the last four and a half years, the contribution of small and medium scale sector to defence production has grown by 200%. The government has been taking several steps to encourage the private sector, MSMEs in particular in defence production under the existing production policy, and some notable changes had been brought in the recent policy. OFB and Defence PSUs are planning to outsource about 3,000 items which will give boost to MSME sectors. The government has also allowed Suomo to Defence product development and production. Defence investor cell and online cell created by the government act as a guide to get information and understand issues etc. The MSMEs have particularly benefited from the cell in the last 10 months. Now way forward. We need to invest in research and development production facilities and quality standards to compete on platforms globally. Coupled with strong export compliance programs and intellectual property rights protection measures to ensure defense exports continue to be a long-term success story. The Indian manufacturing economy is like a $1 trillion in the next five years of which it is expected that $25 billion will come from defense sector. And uh, further, $5 billion will be generated from exports. The economic as well as strategic dividend of being a good defense exporter are numerous. For the first time, India seems to make some serious effort in this direction. Then a continuous policy push, crucial administrative reforms and uh, responses from the in industry gives this hope that the India can develop an ecosystem which is required for the growth and sustainability of our defense sector. Now, what are the recent reforms in the defense sector to boost exports? The provision of in-principle approval for export incorporated in the standard operating procedure so that domestic players can explore opportunities in overseas markets. Then, uh, setting up of Defense Exports Steering Committee for taking decision on proposals of export permissions, particularly related to the export of indigenously developed sensitive defense equipment, and for monitoring overall progress of defense exports. Setting up of Defense Investor Cell, Society for Indian Defense Startups, Innovations for Defense Excellence Platform, Different Startup Challenges, Hackathons, etc. Decision to establish Defense Industrial Corridor in UP and Tamil Nadu. Department of Defense Production has provided a list of 51 items to the industry lobbies to identify how many of them can be manufactured in India and made available for exports. Then India has also proposed a series of amendments to the Defence Offset Guidelines to open up new avenues for the discharge of offset obligations by foreign vendors. Among the new avenues are investment in specified projects in defence, aerospace and internal security such as testing labs, testing ranges and skill centres. Now open general export licence. Military goods, software and technology, 
provides license for the export of a wide range of military equipment to low risk destinations these licenses are available in the public domain and must be used by exporters use of these licenses removes the need to apply for an individual export control license then the defense export sector defense exports have increased exponentially from rupees 4000 crore to 10000 crore on the back of recent policy liberalization with the growing trend of shipments in the recent years exports of defense products will exceed 35000 crore target by 2025 2024 and 25 in the current financial year exports worth rupees 5000 crore have already been processed with the bulk of these being in private sector of rupees 11000 crore odd worth of exports last financial year the private sector contributed to over 9000 crores the government plans to give the defense sector a 25 billion dollar in the 1 trillion indian manufacturing economy to be reached by 2025 that was it about india's transition from defense market to export hub now we are moving forward towards the next topic which is defense financing Recently our union cabinet added a new term of reference for the 15th finance commission which requires that the commission to examine if separate mechanism for funding of defense and internal security ought to be set up or not iska background let me check dwindling defense budget though the government has allocated 4 trillion for defense spending as a proportion of gdp the allocation is inching steadily lower In 1415 defense allocations accounted for 17% of the central government spending or about 2.28% of GDP this year the defense budget will comprise 15% of the government expenditure and only 2% of the GDP therefore the latest additions of the 15 finance commission term of reference calls for the finance commission to examine the possibility of allocation of adequate risk secure non lapsable funds for defense and internal security of india india's defense budget concerns and scope india's challenging security environment more recently the indian army has released released its land warfare doctrine which emphasizes a two front threat scenario for which the indian army has to be prepared against as per the cag report india do not have sufficient fund for emergency necessary purchases and the army did not have sufficient war reserves to fight a high intensity war for more than 10 days need to upgrade the armed forces rapidly for modern day threats modernization involves acquisition of new state of the art platforms technologies and weapon systems to upgrade and augment defense capabilities the current defense allocation is far too meager to make any meaningful progress in this regard modernization of both pakistan and china is going on in full swing therefore it is important that we remain deterrent as far as these are concerned lack of capital expenditure and resource crunch india's defense budget in recent years have been falling but more significantly an increasing component of the funds are being allocated towards salaries pensions and other operating expenses and given the democratic trends the nation's pension bill is becoming larger even surpassing the salary bill thus only a third is allocated for a capital expenditure which goes into the modernization of the military to achieve the greater indigenization large number of systematic changes outlined in defense procurement procedure of 
2016 have been aimed to achieve greater indigenization and in this view army have also identified as many as 25 projects for make in india however there is no adequate budget to support this as a result of which many of these may have end up foreclosed other than this what you also need to find out is that what is the latest tweak in the finance commission's terms of references being criticized likely protest from the states on apprehensions of states being squeezed out of funding sequestering funds from for defense from the center so gross tax revenues means a reduction in the overall tax pool that is shared with the states this is likely to be protested by the states because several of whom are arguing for an increase in their share in taxes collected to 50% from the current 42% raises questions over the fiscal prudence of the central government as defense being a union subject the center's request to the finance commission for greater resources means that it is it has limited ability to ramp up the expenditure on items in the union list this is partly because the center's expenditure on items in the state and concurrent list have been increasing over the years now international examples China's People Liberation Army has already initiated its most wide-ranging and ambitious restructuring since 1949, which includes reducing the size of PLA by 3 lakh soldiers, increasing the size of its navy and air force, and restructuring several military regions into five theater commands. This exercise is intended to enhance the PLA's ability to conduct joint operations on land, at sea, and in the air, and in the space and cyber domains. The way ahead for this is that in view of the India's more pressing socio-economic needs Indian armed forces will have to become smarter in how they manage their dwindling resources for this focusing on strategic defense policy the defense reforms are needed urgently than the increasing defense allocation in annual budget post pulwama situation made it clear that for all the out of box thinking and effective execution Indian armed forces lack the killer punch given their lack of upgradation the need for arms armed forces to be leaner meaner fighting force within the budgetary constraints rationalizing manpower in armed forces should be a priority indian army initiated a restructuring exercise with the aim of cutting back up to 1 lakh soldier and reducing its revenue budget which is expected to rise over 90% of the total in the coming years the central reform entails replacing division sized forces with bulk the brigades called integrated battle groups that was it about the august issue of 2019 security portion and uh, will come up with the september after the break thank you for listening hi welcome back so now i'm going to talk about the security portion of the vision as magazine of september issue but because this month it has only one topic i have uh, you know i am going to march the september october and november in this podcast so the first topic which is of september issue is smart policing why news because the president vice president advocated for smart policing complemented by a high tech police force to deal with terrorism maoism and insurgency by smart police the word smart stands for strict and sensitive for s M for modern and mobile, A for alert and accountable, R for reliable and responsive, T for techno savvy and trained. Why smart policing? 
The concept of smart policing was articulated by Prime Minister in the DGP-IGP conference in 2014 held in Guwahati. Broadly, smart policing involves interventions incorporating application of evidence-based and data-driven policing practices, strategies and tactics in order to prevent and control crime. Benefits of smart policing It promotes proactive policing by preventing criminal activity through enhanced police visibility and public engagement. Smart policing encourages a system-wide and strategic view of police operations. It encourages focus on outcomes that is reduced crime and safer communities in cost-effective ways. Smart policy paradigm promotes integration and interoperability of information and communication systems. These initiatives help to provide, protect civil rights and to make police more citizen-friendly. Challenges to smart policing Overburden police force. As of January 2016, 24% of the sanctioned police posts in India were vacant. This indicates that existing workforce may be overburdened, which may have negative consequence on their efficiency and performance. Lack of techno-savvy personnel. The police track lack training and expertise required to combat technology-related crimes. Police infrastructure is inadequate to cater to the needs of the police force. The CAG has uh, audited and found out that shortages in weaponry with state police forces, example Rajasthan and West Bengal, had shortages of 75% and 71% respectively in required weaponry with the state police. Bureau of Police Research and Development has also noted 30% deficiency in stock of required vehicles with the state forces. Then lack of funds. Police is under the state list. Many states lack or underutilize funds to modernize their police force. The recent initiatives that are taken towards smart policing is Modernization of Police Forces Scheme. The scheme focuses on strengthening police infrastructure by construction of secure police stations, training centers, police housing and equipping police stations with required mobility, modern weaponry, communication equipment and forensic setup etc. The Ministry of Home Affairs has launched this scheme to gradually reduce the dependence of the state government on army and CAPF to control the internal security and law and order situations. Administrative changes. On the administrative side, changes include separation of investigation from law and order, specialized wings for social and cyber crimes are initiated in several states. Technological reforms. Various technological reforms are pushed including modernization of control room, fast track, crime and criminal tracking network and systems, pushing for national intelligence grid and pushing for incorporation of new technology into policing. Steps to be taken to implement smart policing. Legislative reforms. Legislative changes include enactment of Organized Crimes Act, a single police act for country, moving from moving police to concurrent list, declaration of federal crimes, measures regarding the registration of so these are the steps to be taken to implement smart policing because as of now the police is in states list and uh, therefore it becomes uh, always a major of issue of contention between center and state. Also what need to do is declaration of federal crimes, measures regarding registration of crimes, statutory backing for CBI and changes in criminal procedure and evidence systems. Second is recruit specialized personnel. Specialized crimes require specialized approach and personnel to deal with them. There should be core technical team to handle modern technology related crimes.
Community policing improves interface with citizens and makes police more sensitive. Janmatri Suraksha Paddhati Kerala Friends of Police Movement Tamil Nadu Suraksha Setu which is a safe city Surat project These are some of the community policing initiatives and which are very successful in their respective states. Then improve communication network. There should be a sharing of information and knowledge to improve the functioning of the police force. Better surveillance and monitoring with standardization, deployment and integration of private security surveillance system. Now conclusion. The need for a fast growing economy like India for safe environment particularly in light of the complex security threats in present times are eminent. Therefore, the Indian police will have to continually evolve and develop efficiencies to keep crime under control, maintain public order and provide safety and security to public. That was it about the September issue. I'll uh, go to the October issue and cover those topics now. So the October issue has only two topics which is both very critical and important for us to understand about the security perspective in India. Why news? The first topic is Naga peace talks. Naga peace talks, why it was in news? Because uh, the October 31st deadline set up by the union government to conclude Naga peace talks ended on a somewhat ambiguous note. Because uh, the deadlock between the government and the National Socialist Council of Nagalim, which is Isaac Moiva, over a separate Naga flag and constitution were the issues holding up a final agreement. Now, the National Socialist Council of Nagalim, Isaac Moiva, agreed to a settlement without a constitution and with a conditional flag that can only be used for non-governmental purposes. The NSCN NSCNIM would have to persuade Manipur, Arunachal Pradesh and Assam to give up parts of their ter territories inhabited by the Naga people for the creation of Greater Nagalim. But Ministry of Home Affairs claimed a communication that no final settlement has arrived at. Further, it was clarified that before any settlement is asked with the Naga groups, all stakeholders including Assam, Manipur, Arunachal Pradesh will be duly consulted and their concerns will be taken into consideration. However, some progress has been made. Even though the centre and rebel groups could not reach a final understanding, four years after the inking of the Naga Peace Accord in 2015. Now, before moving ahead, we need to find out what is this Naga conflict and what is the timeline of these conflict and peace talks. So, in 1881, when the Britishers were ruling over India, the Naga Hills became part of British India. Usse pehle kiske paas the? We will have to find out. Then in 1918, the first sign of Naga resistance with the formation of the Naga Club, which told the Salmon Commission in 1929 to leave us alone to determine for ourselves as a nation times. Then in 1946, formation of Naga National Council under the leadership of Angami Zapo Fizo, which declared Nagaland an independent state on August 14, 1947. In 1951, the Nagaland... NNC what is this Nagaland club resolved to establish sovereign naga state and conducted a referendum in which 99% people supported an independent nagaland then in 1952 fizo formed the underground naga federal government and naga federal army 
In 1958, the government of India sent in the army to crush the insurgency and enacted Afspa Act in Nagaland, which is one of the draconian laws India has ever had. Then in 1975, a section of NNC leaders signed the Shillong Accord under which this section, 75 matlab, Indira Gandhi's time. So, a section of NNC leaders signed the Shillong Accord under which the section of NNC and NFG agreed to give, uh, give up arms. A group of about 140 members led by Twin Galeng Muiva, who were at the time in China, refused to accept the Shillong Accord and formed the National Socialist Council of Nagaland in 1980. In the 1988, the NSCN split into NSCN Isak Muiva and NSCN Kaplang. In 1991, FISO died and the NSCN IM came to be seen as the mother of all insurgencies in the region. I like this word, mother of all insurgencies. 1995, peace talks started with NSCN IM as then the Prime Minister P.V. Narsimha Rao met Muiva, SWU, Su and others in Paris. Prime Minister met Indian insurgent in Paris. Then in 1997, the government of India signed a ceasefire agreement with NSCN-IM after 80 rounds of talks. The 2015 NSCN-IM gave up the idea of Naga sovereignty and agreed for a settlement within the Indian Federation. NSCN-IM demand a greater Nagalim comprising all contiguous Naga inhabited areas along with Nagaland that included several districts of Assam, Arunachal, Manipur, as also a large tract of Myanmar. NSCNK is opposed to the talks, continues violent methods, though Khaflang died in 2017, weakening it. Now, what is the roadblock to the Naga peace talks? The nature of demand. Obviously, like you know, they are demanding a separate flag and a constitution which is against the integrity of India. And this requires fundamental changes in the country's federal dynamics. If we give permission for them to have a separate constitution and flag, then obviously the Kashmir having the separate flag and constitution was equally correct then. But we will not allow this. Next is existence of Article 371A. Article 371A states that no act of parliament shall apply to the state of Nagaland in respect of religious or social practices of Nagas. Its customary law and procedure, administration of civil and criminal justice, involving decisions according to Naga customary law and ownership and transfer of land and its resources. An amendment to this article is critical to the ongoing Naga peace process. In order to solve another substantive issue of settling the question whether Nagas have the right over the land and resources, both above and beneath it. The limitations of Article 371 in fulfilling the aspirations of the Naga people came to the light when the Nagaland Assembly unanimously passed the resolution on 2010 July 26 in exercise of its powers under Article 371A, first section, rendering inter alia all the act of the parliament governing petroleum and natural gas is inapplicable to the state of Nagaland. Now, this is a problem. Ho However, in 2013, government declared the Nagaland Assembly Resolution unconstitutional and invalid. Obviously, you cannot tell the central government or the country to 
not exploit the resources just because you are some assembly then integrity of other states nobody in three states which is manipur assam arunachal would allow even an inch of their land to be added to the greater nagaland if all that term is part of the record in manipur meetis form a majority of the imphal valley and nagas and kokis dominate the tribal district of the hills for decades the communities have made competing demands for ethnic homelands protest organized by meeti groups echoed a long running fear that a solution to the naga problem would come at the cost of manipur's integrity similar demand from the other groups political instability has undermined the role of democracy in the state and has fueled apprehensions leading to separate agenda and demands by various factions and organizations so kuki groups also in talks with the government fear the nagar solution would carve up their imagined homeland the federal structure under a federal structure the central government is not in a position to ask a state to give away parts of its territory in nscn ishak moiva have to persuade the convince and convince these states through dom- democratic and political processes now problems created due to this issue kya problem hai peace in the northeast it is continued to low level violence remains one of the biggest challenges to the resolution of the ongoing conflict then uh, impact other states assam arunachal pradesh manipur are skeptical about the demand for creation of the greater nagaland because it could lead to redrawing of their boundaries the final outcome may affect the states in terms of trade and commerce as well as cultural and ethnic unity then other problem is insurgency in the northeast due to demands of nscn isak moiva the situation has created tension and also leading to insurgency in the northeast particularly against the government in 1958 government also enacted the armed forces special powers act giving the army judicial impunity in the matters of internal security people losing faith the overall mismanagement of the conflict has led to the people losing faith in governance its polity and also the peace process prolonged peace negotiations have seemingly lost the desired sheen and impact now what is the way forward ab ladai jhagda to ho gaya ab aage kya karna hai the government should address the confusion due to many interpretations to special arrangement implied in the 2015 agreement particularly on how the shared sovereignty will be exercised the government should not rush into a solution by declaring deadlines it should involve all stakeholders from within and outside the nagaland state and work towards a solution through a peaceful dialogue process that satisfies all other section sensitivities also will have to be kept in mind for example kukis a tribe engaged in tussle with the nagas in the manipur hills are uniquely to accept naga dominance over their areas arunachal pradesh assam manipur are wary of the nscn im's concept of nagaland that could lead to a redrawing of their boundaries the government and the nscn isak moiva must be completely transparent in their approach and must take into confidence all genuine political formations civil society and ethical group sorry ethnic groups people to people contacts need to be built up so that real problems of the people can be voiced on a larger platform there is a need for more cross cultural openness not only between mainstream india and northeast but among the northeast northeastern states as well that was it about the naga peace
talk now the next topic is very important it is the critical information infrastructure security in india recently as we all know there were cyber attack on the kundankulam nuclear power project it was in news because the national cyber coordination center received intelligence from the us based cyber security firm that a threat actor has breached and intercepted the domain controllers at the kknpp and at isro ye us based cyber security firm ko kundankulam ke bare mein kaise pata chala this spyware identified as dtrack is programmed to steal data and give the hacker or the threat actor complete control over all the infected devices by exposing its, its credentials and passwords these two incidents cast serious doubt on the indian state's claim for being a legitimate power in the cyberspace both due to the vulnerability of its critical information struck both due to the vulnerability of its critical information structure now this critical information structure protection in india kya hai ye critical information structure it is defined as those facilities systems or functions whose incapacity or destruction would cause a debilitating impact on the national security governance economy and social well-being of nation the critical sectors uh, covered are under cii are power and energy like thermal plant hydroelectric nuclear power then banking financial institution and insurance we have also come across some news where there was cyber breach in the atms and banking banks of uh, the country then information and communication technology like satellite communication broadcasting etc then transportation like civil aviation railways and shipping next is e governance and strategic public enterprises the government has designated the national critical information and infrastructure protection center of the ntro as the nodal agency under section 70a of the information technology amendment act of 2008 for taking all measures including associated research and development for the protection of cii in india significance of critical infrastructure protection kya hai agar isko protect karne ka significance kya hai why it is important to protect the critical infrastructure because these information infrastructures are specially vulnerable to cyber attack and breaches this is because their cii are deeply interconnected and complex by design and also geographically dispersed these infrastructures are specially vulnerable to attack as dedicated weapon systems or armies are not necessary to disable these systems any delay or disruption in the functioning of these critical information system can potentially spread across other cii resulting in political economic social and national instability a minor disruption at one point could have a rippling effect across multiple infrastructures the increasingly high dependence of the critical sectors on cii coupled with wide variety of threat they are vulnerable to necessitate the need for an effective policy and institutional framework to protect the ciis now there are some mechanisms set up for the cyber security in india national critical information infrastructure protection center it focuses specific responsibilities for protecting all critical information infrastructure computer emergency response team india cert in it is responsible for all non critical systems and for collecting reports on all cyber attack then national cyber coordination center 
to scan internet traffic coming into the country and provide real-time situational awareness and alert various security agencies. So this was it about the October issue of the magazine. I'll come up with the other issues in the next podcast. Like November, December and all those will be in the next. Thank you for listening.